Hey, everybody. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Tech Strong Women. I'm Charlene O'Hanlon, Chief Operating Officer over Tech Strong Group. And I am uh, so, I feel so privileged to have uh, these ladies on today's inaugural program. Tracy Bannon, who is my uh, cohort on the show, she's going to be joining me for most, if not all, of these shows. Uh, Tracy is a senior principal, software architect, and DevOps strategic advisor over at MITRE. And I know that's a very long uh, title, but uh, Tracy, thank you so much for being here and being a part of this. Um, and then we also have, uh, as our first guest, Jennifer Leggio, who is the uh, C, and she's, a, she's a chief marketing officer and uh, kind of a serial uh, tech techpreneur, if you will. So uh, Jennifer, thank you for being on the show. I just want to, uh, I'm going to ask both of you guys to tell us, tell the audience a little bit about yourself. But before we get started, I wanted to kind of level set, talk about this show a little bit, what we're on about here. And uh, first of all, we do want to emphasize that this is a show about celebrating technologists, not simply just women. We put the women label on the uh, on the title series because we want to uh, we want folks to understand that technologists are they the male female we you know we're we are we are on equal level in the technology field now. That said, there are a number of things that females have had to uh, challenges that females have had to deal with as they rise through the ranks in technology. And we will be covering some of those things as part of our discussion, but really what we are here to do is to celebrate technologists uh, of all ilk and what, with a heavy emphasis on, uh, on women in technology and uh, some, of the, uh, some of their stories. But we wanna talk to folks about where they've been, where they're going, why they are there, and uh, hopefully provide some takeaways for everybody in technology as part of that. So Tracy, I don't know if there's anything that you wanna add to that uh, description. Um, this is about being authentic. This is bringing forward all of these other technologists. Um, and part of this will represent a little bit of my journey. Charlene, we've talked about this as we've gotten to know each other over the last year or two, that my journey, I didn't realize that I was the only woman in the room because I was so tech blind. I had a job I needed to do, something I needed to get done. And the further I've gone along in my career, the more people have reached out, men and women, asking for help in navigating, asking for how they can be allies to one another, how they can bring thought diversity to the table. And that's what helped me to start this part of my journey. But I've been a, I've been the, the, the technical person in the room for a long time. So is, I'm excited about this. Very excited. I, well, I'm I'm super excited too because I I, I firmly believe that uh, a lot of times the you know, voices uh, from the female technologists have not been heard as as much as the male voices have. So hopefully we are uh, giving uh, females a megaphone to get their uh, voices and their opinions across as well as uh, be able to share their expertise. So with that, I wanna introduce Jennifer Leggio, who is, as I said, she's a chief marketing officer, serial entrepreneur or, or techpreneur, tech if you will. So Jennifer, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, uh, your, you know, your current role, what, what you're doing and basically how you got here, because I know, uh, that's not, that's not where you started. So I'd love to hear yeah. a little bit, a little bit about your journey. 
Well, well, thank you for having me. I'm very honored to be here. And I'm really excited about this conversation. You guys have already touched on a couple of things that I'm really hoping that we dig into and I'll, I'll lay that out a little bit. But for me, I am a um, die to the wool security marketer. I've been doing security marketing now for about 22 years, minus I took a year out for a different area and then came running back like I was screaming for my mother kind of coming home uh, because I missed it so much. Um, and, uh, you know, and I have been this, in the CMO role or marketing executive role for at least the last nine years or so. Um, and I'm a startup. I'm a startup person. I love coming into startups, either building them from scratch where they haven't had marketing presence before. And that's everything from the operational side to the comms PR, the messaging, the technical marketing, what have you. Um, and then other times it's a turnaround situation where I come in and the company's kind of stalled for some reason and they're trying to get to the next. And so they bring me in to help with, with that. And that's my, that's my passion. In terms of how I got here, um, I actually started out as a journalist um, at a little newspaper in Southern California. And by journalist, obituary writer is what I oh, mean. Goodness. So I went from <laughs> writing obituaries to writing about security. So that was an interesting transition. Um, and it was a quick one. I was living in Southern California. My roommate decided to move to the Bay Area. I'm like, I can get a job in PR. I'm a journalist, even though most of the people I interviewed, well, I didn't really interview them, let's be honest. Um, and uh a little tiny PR firm called Dovetail does not exist anymore. Specializing in security clients took a chance on me and that's all she wrote, so to speak. So here I am. That's great. That's great. I love your obituary story, by the way, because I've, I've got to believe, I've got to believe that what you learned in writing obituaries and I like looking over the, the measure and, and length of somebody's life and the things that they impacted, that has to have bled into marketing. Like being able to to look at the full measure of, of something that a company is or does. And it, it definitely is. It definitely helped me fine tune my empathy, which is, I think, a very important quality of a marketer as well as a leader. Um, and because, you know, in, in that situation, it wasn't that, you know, there's it was I would have to sit down with these families and I was, I was 21 years old. I was a baby. And um you know, I'd sit down with these families and talk to them and hear their stories. And I couldn't be like, all right, let's get on with it. Like, no, never. Right. You sometimes they just wanted someone to listen. And I think that that turned me into a deeper empath than I naturally am. And I do think that empaths make the strongest marketers um, because when you care, you do a much better job. And maybe you can say that about any profession. Right. I just happen to be a marketer. So that's what I'm saying. So it's so funny that you started with obituaries. I actually journalist also uh started uh, with weddings so we were both in those special sections (laughs) (laughs) right so so go figure i but uh it's interesting how you you kind of springboarded onto marketing from from journalism because it really you know it's all about storytelling at the end of the day and so uh, even even today, it's the, the ability to tell a good story is really what kind of separates the wheat from the chaff when it comes to not just journalism, but also marketing and pretty much anybody who has to uh, interface with other people. And, mm-hmm. and frankly, these days, who doesn't? And, you know, but but telling the story sometimes 
can be difficult, uh, oh you know, if, if you're not, you know, if you're not the strongest voice in the room. So I wonder, Jennifer, did, you know, has, how has that kind of impacted the way that you go about doing your job? It's, uh, it's, it's hard because, I mean, let's face it, security marketers get a bad rap and we deserve some of it, to be perfectly honest. You see it happening seen a ton of it happening in the last week or so with Log4J, right? Like it's all over the place, right? The, the, the FUD, the, we could have, we could have solved your problem, the victim shaming, all of that, that happens. And I firmly believe that needs to stay out of marketing and you have to be creative in, I think the masterpiece of a marketer is, is storytelling without scaring people, informing them, giving them unique insights. Um, and not just throwing fluff at them. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not easy to do. And it's, it, you know, the secret sauce and, and how to do that comes from really depends on if you're trying to build a blog or a messaging platform or a rapid response. My first go-to 99% of the time when I'm trying to come up with a new project or that's around a story, whether whatever that delivery mechanism is, is try to talk to a customer. Yeah. So I like get into their head because I can sit here in my Kool-Aid drinking vendor world all I want. And I can even talk to the guys and gals of my company that are on the front line, but there's nothing about hearing the reality of it. But sometimes you still get pushed back internally even there. And from, you know, a lot of the times that sales teams that like want you to go out because they want to bring in the Mm -hmm. sale, they want to bring in the sales. And they're like, we don't care how it comes in the door. But it's my job as CMO to be the guardian of the reputation as well. So there's a really strong balance there. Really fine balance. I love something that you just said. You used the word authentic, right? In I'm seeing this with all of the folks that I guide and that I help as well. And given that I'm so focused working with government executives, right, mm-hmm. helping them, the, the empathy needs to be there at every level, especially if you're dealing with software and software intensive systems and you're dealing with security. But authenticity comes with a need for people to be able to storytell. And storytelling is not telling fibs. I think that's another thing that we have to lay flat is that storytelling is simply how you lay out the story. So it's not scary. What are the what are you, the objectives that you're trying to get across to them? It may be important to rattle them a little bit, but not in a way that you're fear mongering. So I, I love that authenticity and storytelling. Like those are those are such key things that we've got to have more people like you being that guardian. Imagine if that guardianship was owned by everybody in your tribe, in your entire organization. You make make life a little bit easier, maybe. I would hope so. I think people also forget that data. I think there's a great Brene Brown quote that I forgot exactly what it was, but I think she said, I'm going to misquote her. I'm sure she'll listen to this and be very upset, but um, it's, a, you know, uh, data, uh, words are just data with a soul. So she said something like that. I believe that data can be a remarkable storyteller. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be something that's written down. It's like, if you can, if you can paint a picture for something about the, the impact of, of what you're doing or what you've done, whether it's for an external perspective or sharing results of something you've done internally, if you can do that with data, that's the most powerful way to get your message across. And it's something that people don't refute, right? You're looking, if you're looking at data, 
right? It's it's not as though it's it's heavily opinionated by someone or another. It can mm-hmm. be. People can skew numbers and skew other things. But yeah. in general, if you have access to the raw data or more less curated data, boy, there's a lot that it surfaces. That's a, that's a strong technique. Yeah. I love it. And and data is, data is like the great equalizer, right? So you, there's, there's no gender associated with data. It it either is or it isn't. So, you know, it's, it's really hard to kind of, you know, say, well, I'm not sure if uh, what you're telling me is, is really correct because, you know, for whatever reason, you present the data and it's right there for everybody to see and they can accept it or the, or not. Um, but it's really hard to argue with what the data is presenting sometimes. Absolutely. So do you think that's, is that a technique that you've used Jennifer, uh, you know, in, in hearing about your career progression and knowing that you are a serial entrepreneur in all of this, is that a technique that you've used throughout this? Is uh, and I'll bring in the the as a woman. Is that something that you've needed to leverage as a, as an enablement tool? I have actually, um, and um, you know, I kind of like I mentioned, I started when I started was in public relations, and then just kind of moved to broader marketing as I got more experience. Um, and yeah, going to the as a woman thing, it's it's very interesting because. You know, and I and I really respect I've worked with some amazing men who are very supportive of women and I've worked with some men that were not and and work with women that were also not very supportive of women. I think that's an yes. important one people forget. Right. Um, and for some reason, there are people that are able to just shout malarkey from the rooftops and they'll believe because they have presence and they're a man and they've got 30 years of experience. And I'm like, all right, well, here's what's going on. But then I've got to create this whole presentation with all these data points that's sourced from Salesforce or a communications cloud or something like that. And, and a lot of times what will happen is, well, why didn't you just then in the end, it's because I think people realize that once you when you feel how do I put this? I don't like, I love, I love data storytelling. I mentioned that already. I hate using it as a defense tool because it shouldn't have to be a defensive tool. And I think sometimes when people realize they put you in that position where you had to give them the data versus you being exciting, excited to give them the data, mm-hmm. they realize it. Um, but that's, that's a whole, that's a whole uh, well we could go down in terms of, you know, women proving themselves versus how men prove themselves. And I'm sure in, in, in your role, both of your roles, you, you have some stories as well. But yeah, it's data has been my armor for mm-hmm. a very long time and um, it shouldn't have to be. I'd much rather have it be just like the shiny thing that I love to show, but it's the shiny thing that protects myself and my team. And that's just a reality. That's um. I often in the roles that I take where I have to help to lead the decision making or provide the decisions, I call that having defensible decisions. Mm. And so it's it's been important to me from the very beginning, but for a different reason that I could track back and say, I've made this recommendation. And here's here's why here. Here's the facts. Here's the things that are supportive of this. It is good. It's always a such a positive experience when you walk into a meeting, and you don't have to lead with that. When you can lead with your experience and when the audience wants the opinion because they know it's experiential based, they know it's not just something subjective. Those are those moments where you go, yes, yeah. <laughs> I think I can I, do this another day. Right. And there's those small wins. 
Oh, sorry, go on. That's okay. I was just going to say, but there's also something to be said about a gut feeling, you know, and, mm-hmm. and everybody has gut feelings, no matter if you're male or female. One thing I have, ha- I have noticed is, um, you know, a woman having a gut feeling isn't taken as seriously as a man having a gut feeling. And, and obviously that's a broad statement and that, you know, the, there are exceptions to every rule, but for some reason, you know, if, if somebody says, uh, if a male comes in and says, this is the way I think we should do it. And they don't really have the data to back it up, but they have the experience to back it up. And then a woman comes in and says the exact same thing. And she too has the experience to back it up. There's a very good chance that 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 her opinion is not going to be taken as seriously. And that's something that I have noticed on, uh, you know, in in my position in in working with multiple companies mm-hmm. uh, that is just not something that uh, that people are willing to take as seriously. Right. And I wonder, is that something that you guys have noticed as well? Well, isn't gut instinct? It's based on your experience, right? That's where gut instinct comes from. Right. Um, so, yeah, if they're not trusting your your gut, then they're not yet trusting your experience set. But yes, I've I've been in meetings where I've made a point, and I've I've not laid all the data out, but I've made that point, only to have somebody else come along, regardless as to gender, make the same point, almost exactly the same words, and it receives accolades or it is well received and wow that's amazing idea and I'm like uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> didn't I just say that didn't were my words was it the inflection that it meant and so I actually become very introspective at that point and have sometimes taken that on as though I may have somehow not conveyed it correctly and what I'm fine what I've I've grown to find out is it depends on the audience that I'm with sometimes I'm not being as succinct and as specific as I need to be. What's your experience with that though, Jennifer? Um, I've had the same experiences. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, you throw out an idea and somebody else articulates it. And you, I, I, and I think women do this more than men. Immediately I start self-analyzing. What did I say? How did I say it? Was my message not clear enough? Or do they just trust this other person more than I do? And it becomes this whole thing in the back of my mind. And then the bad thing about that is it's kind of taking me from being an active participant in the rest of the conversation where I can really provide the input. Um, But yeah, that, that has, that has happened. Um, And I I like what you said, Tracy, around how gut instinct is experience. And if they're not taking the gut instinct, it does make you wonder if they trust the experience. I've also found that at least in the last couple of years, I've seen this a lot where I'm in meetings, mostly virtual, of course, the last couple of years, but in meetings where men will enter the room or enter the conversation. And I I sometimes keep a tally of how many times they start a suggestion with how many years experience they have. Well, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. I kind of made a joke about it earlier, right? Like, I don't do that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I feel like I need to remind them that I'm not 12, And then I've been around a little bit, you know, but I've noticed that. And I'm wondering if that's, maybe that's not a negative thing. Maybe that's setting the tone of, look, I've been doing this a long time where I would like to think that anyone, male, female, whatever, whomever, right. um, 
walks into a room and just by the fact that they're there, mm-hmm. if they're there, their opinion was valued enough to be invited. Yeah. Therefore, nothing else should have to be said. Right. Right. But it doesn't work that way. So then I start to think about, well, do I need to advertise myself more? But that's a waste of time. It seems really egotistical, but people do it and people listen to them more. No, but it's not it's not egotism. Someone took me aside a number of years ago and, and I'd gotten a I, I always I'm an A student. I know in my head I got to get the A. And I had a performance evaluation that was meh. It wasn't bad, but it wasn't what I wanted. And we had a sit down conversation. And part of it was you're not tooting your own horn. I'm like, well, why would I be so arrogant? Why would I be out here tub thumping? I'm bringing, I'm doing good things. Like, yeah, you're doing good things, but people don't necessarily know about them or that part of your, um, that part of your experience is that reputation is not perceiving you. Mm-hmm. So there it was very interesting to work. And this was a man to work with him on how do I appropriately toot my own horn? How do I appropriately, it's not how I've been here for 30 years, but it is, well, you know, I've been doing this for a while. I have, and here's a specific experience that I want to talk about right now. So it, it kind of, it got us away from, I had 10 years, you had 12 years. It got us away from that. And I got it more into a relevancy of the actual experience that we wanted to talk about. Um, but I thought that, I thought that that was kind of a corollary to what you're talking about here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and also, uh, there, there's this perception that, you know, and maybe it's just the way that, that females are brought up versus males, but there's perception of, you know, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, it's just my job. I'm not supposed to advertise every single day exactly what I'm doing, but that's what people need to hear. You know, so if we have a meeting and, and people are asking me, well, you know, what are you working on? Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing my job. I'm doing this. I'm doing, I'm not advertising like, oh my God, I had a great meeting today. And, and we, you know, we, we got some things really hammered out and I just, I'm, and this is, this could just be the way that, you know, like I said, men and women are brought up. I'm not one to go out and advertise myself. And, 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 and Tracy, what you just said um, really hit home with me because I, I, I do believe that that actually holds women back a lot because of the fact that they're not, they just, maybe it's a comfort level. They just don't feel comfortable speaking up about their accomplishments and their experience and, and pay attention to me. This is, you know, they, it should be assumed that because you do have that experience and you do have that, uh, that, that set of capabilities that, that you should be taken seriously. Well, and, we're working and, against generations though. I mean, mm-hmm. as we're, as we're bursting through this and we're going, okay, I'm going to talk about my relevant experience. I know my mom didn't, and I know that my grandmothers didn't. And I know the things that they would say to me, like my grandmother would say, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I started to talk about things. She said, it'd be so great if you could be a teacher or a nurse. And they were very gender mm-hmm. oriented things because that was the world that they lived in. Right. Um, and my mom was the first person that was like, you, know, you don't have to listen to them. But at the same time, you know, it was, it was interesting because, you know, there's still, I'm, I'm the, the middle child. I am the first daughter, but I'm the middle child of, you know, my brother is the only son of an only son. Right. And so you can imagine all of those things that, that cascade with that. And I'm, I'm not 21. And I think if, if I were, uh, as I'm seeing the next generations growing up, they're coming into this a little bit differently. I think you were going to see, I'm hoping knock on, knock on wood that we're going to see younger 
folks in their careers better able to articulate impact because it's got to be the story has to be an impact story, not number of years, not number of degrees, not number of certifications. But this was my line of thinking and this was the impact that I drove. Yeah. And that's a different that's a that's very different for all the generations right now as we start to turn that corner. I'd love to see more of that. You hear, I hear people talk about meritocracy and how it should be about what someone's accomplished and not years on paper and not those other things. So I think, you know, there's, there's discussion, but I don't know that at least like some of the older generations and I include myself in this are just still fully comfortable on even how to one, I'm not good at doing it myself or demonstrating it in the way that I'd like to demonstrate it in order to mentor the younger folks on my team to be able to not shield themselves with data and worry about, do they have the experience to be in this room and, and all those things. So I guess that brings the bigger question is while we're learning on our own to show our merit and do it in a way that doesn't have to be like, here's my LinkedIn profile or what have you, how do we mentor like, how do we mentor, especially younger women in our industries, in the tech industry, to, 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 to be able to grow without having to defend? And I, were, I actually think about that a lot with because I have a team of young women and I try really hard, but I, I haven't cracked that code yet. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to, to ask them that question and to see what answer mm-hmm. you get, because there is the very good possibility, and I believe this, uh, that they're not thinking along those lines. And, and, and that's because, you know, with every generation, to your point, Tracy, things get more and more, uh, there, there is greater parity between males and females. It's, it's, it is less about gender roles with each successive generation. And so I, I hope that, you know, the next generation doesn't have to have this conversation that we're having. And it doesn't have to be a, uh, an ongoing conversation because right now, I mean, we've been, we've been having this conversation. I've been having this conversation for 20 plus years, you know, and, and, and every single time somebody's brought up with, to me, why don't you do a discussion about women and technology for a long time, a very long time. I bristled at that. And I said, why, why do we have to do that? Why do we have to have a discussion about women in technology? Why can't we just have a discussion about technology, people in technology? Why do we have to keep setting ourselves up on this stage and saying, look at us, we're women. And so, you know, what are we doing now? We're, you know, we're kind of having that conversation. But but I, I think what we really wanted to accomplish with this is just celebrating the fact that there are so many diverse voices out there and there are so many stories uh, and, and there's, there's so much insight to be derived from these conversations, whether it's about the way men and women work or communicate or, uh, you know, wh- whether they can say certain things in the office, you know, that's, that's a whole other conversation for another time. But, but it's, it seems as though, um, you know, when, when you, when you bring up the topic of say women in technology or women, what it doing, whatever to the older generation, Jennifer, to your point, the older generation, they're going to, they're going to view it a different way than the younger generation. And there's a very, very good chance that the younger generation is like, why are you guys doing this? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, I, I don't, I don't have these issues. 
they might one day, especially if they have uh, an older boss. Uh, so, uh, so I guess as much as anything, I would like these conversations to be uh, just kind of food for thought for that younger generation as well. So I'm going to ask a leading question of Jennifer. So when I hear all of this, and Charlene has heard me say this before, I want to be in charge of my adjectives. I want everybody to know technologist. That that's 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 the noun. That's that's what I am. But in terms of what my adjectives are, I want to define those. There are times where I'm going to talk to female students and I will go ahead and say I'm a I'm a woman engineer. But not in every conversation does it do I lead with that. Sometimes it's woman, sometimes it's real, sometimes it's cloud, sometimes and I provide that adjective. So I want to ask you, we've said that you are a security marketer, right? And that's, and you spend a lot of time um, being a, a CMO. What other adjectives do you have? What are the ones that you're like, this is, this is me. These are my adjectives. Oh, goodness. Um, uh, security marketer, CMO, you mentioned that. Um, woman leader. And I feel that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh Back to kind of what Charlene was just talking about, you know, I hope that because we are having these conversations now, younger women keep saying things like, why do you need to talk about that? That's a win. Right. And they don't they don't have to think about their adjectives. Mm-hmm. But you did. You you asked me a leading question, but it, it I have been told in the past I've been in security. I mentioned a long time not to tout my resume, but a long time. But I've been told many times by true technologists that are actually coding and teching and all those things, that even though I've been in tech for 22 years, I do not have the right to call myself a technologist because I'm only a marketer. And I can't tell you how many times that has come up. And I feel like that's something I owe to my marketing brethren Mm -hmm. to bring up because you don't have to be a coder to be a technologist, you have to, you, it's an ecosystem. Technology is an ecosystem like anything else. And there are people mm-hmm. that play different roles, have different talents. And, you know, I, it, it's interesting that, and this isn't gender specific at all, because I know this happens to my, my male colleagues. Um, you know, why, why is that? Is it a lack of understanding of what we do sometimes, sometimes I get like, kind of like little like punchy <laughs> and I'm like, well, we help you get paid. So shit, but you know, but it, it's not, you know, I don't want to be salty about it. Right. I really want to be constructive. You know, why, why is that? And I ask I you from a technologist perspective, right? I, I think because we're just learning until mm-hmm. recently it was tech. All right. And so IT is over here. Business is over there. And so I spend so much time meeting with business experts to so that we get business agility and technology agility aligned so that we're delivering, we're solving problems and we're delivering value. So we become part of a team now. So if I I used to be that I would I thought techie was somebody has a degree in this or their hands on coder, I kind of sometimes I'll use the word tech savvy. Or or code savvy because it's it's like being the the child of an undertaker. You understand the entire business, <laughs> even though you're not the person who's doing the embalming, right? Or your your father is a, a, a fireman, or, or you under or I grew up in a household with educators, I and mean, so I understand that 
business, but I'm not an educator, but I sure as hell can talk about it and I sure as hell can sell it. So I think that that's really what you're saying is where, what, what, what defines even being a technologist? Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and it's not an educational thing, right? I mean, you don't have to have a degree in technology to be a technologist. I mean, so many people have like Jennifer, for example, she's a journalist by, by, you know, by degree, but she's chief, chief marketing officer and it's, she didn't go to school for that, but she can walk the walk and she can talk the talk. So, um, you know, there, there's something to be said about in the trenches learning. And, and again, uh, I, I, th- I also think that there's a bias associated with marketing in general. And, uh, and, and especially if, you know, if, if you're going up against uh, a, a, uh, a population who uh, doesn't necessarily think of it as uh, on, on par with what they're doing. And so that is, uh, that certainly is not gender specific at all. It, it, that's got more to, to do about, you know, with, with in, inherent biases toward particular roles. Yeah. Well, let's come yeah. back to diversity is, is the name yes. of the game here. We're talking about diversity. We happen to be more focusing on the female part of it, mm-hmm. but I've, I've, it, it has happened to me more than once in the last few years where I've been in a conversation and the conversation has been about education. And it's been about educational diversity. And well, we have some folks with software engineering and we've got some people with systems engineering. Oh, and we have these a few over here. Um, and so there are places where those are the, what would you call it, the yardsticks that they're using? to. Ma- so there, people have all kinds of different yardsticks. It would mm-hmm. be nice if the yardstick was experienced towards, this to- towards whatever topic that you're focused on, as opposed to different types of pedigrees that may or may not matter. The best architect that I ever met was a fellow by the name of Martin Sheridan. And if he's listening to this, hey, Martin, it's been a while. Hope you're doing well. Um, his degree was in urban planning and he's fantastic at seeing the big picture. He was just amazing. Um, so yeah, I, does a degree help? Sure. In some of the sciences, can it make a difference in jumpstarting? You bet. Is it always going to be the linchpin? Oh, hell no. (laughs) Absolutely not. So it's a great conversation. I, you know, Jennifer, I am really interested in finding out where you, where you think you're going to be moving forward. Do you think you're always going to be in, in marketing or do you think you're going to kind of move into another uh, role entirely? And, and, and how does the relationship that you have with uh, your, your cohorts, how does that impact your decisions to, you know, regarding where you want to be in the next phase in your career? It's very interesting. Um, question, very interesting timing for that question. So I've had the fortune. So, you know, I, I, of being able to take on very operational marketing roles, Mm -hmm. as well as the storytelling, the brand, the creative, all the other fun stuff, even though I grew up in PR, I've been able to really expand. And I had a previous company that gave me an opportunity to lead a revenue operations team, which is kind of a sales function, sometimes a COO function, right? For some companies where you're basically looking at data integrity and best practices and everything from quote to cash and working with a finance team, et cetera. And for, you know, and I, I really appreciate it. It was a company called Flashpoint and I spent about three years there, wonderful people. And I'm really grateful that they gave me the opportunity to step out of the marketing box, so to speak, and learn that. 
And in, re- in, in, since then I've tried to figure out, I've been like, all right, so I've been a CMO for a while. I've been in marketing for a while. I need to, I need to, I'm going to move forward. I want to be a CEO or I want to be a COO or I want to take on revenue ops. Or I want to do that officially codified as my job. And then I sat back and I thought, but I'm really good at marketing and I really love raising not to insult my, 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 you know, I call myself mama bear with my team sometime, whether they like it or not. I really love mentoring. I would consult if I didn't love managing, I'll be honest, I would consult, but I love managing and growing teams. But I realized, wait a second, what if I going back to what we were just talking about with marketing mm-hmm. being respected, right. what if I instead use my voice and use what I've learned in a rare and a very, because people say, wow, marketing people don't usually own that. What if I use that to redefine what a CMO is and make that an example and, and help like, you know, male or female help CMOs be seen more as business leaders mm-hmm. than just simply marketing leaders. And so for me next is to be that and continue. It's really to embrace being that that level of CMO that's very operational and figure out ways that I can educate other folks that like, hey, you can do this too. And um, and you may really love it because you're going to learn a lot more about the impact of what your job has. I love the passion that you have with that. I'm working with a woman named Christina Rylander, and her background is 20 years as a government um, um, running PMOs and standing up organizations. And what she has really taught me about the hardcore side of defense is the role of acquisition. And acquisition is a whole area of government. I mean, it's it's you, they don't build software, they acquire software. And there's layers and layers of policy and and all kinds of different things around it. But those folks, just like what you're talking about, they are just as important to the conversation um, and helping them, helping to build a different set of dialogue, uh, you know, a leveling of the playing field, the ecosystem you talked about earlier. That's something that she's doing on a day in a day uh, basis. So I'm seeing that trend, whether regardless as to the domain space, starting to see the trend that you're talking about there, Jennifer. So what do we do? How do we kickstart it more? What do we do to accelerate it? I think it, uh, I think part of it is people like me and people like her and us on this, uh, you know, just, you know, taking the time to, to have the conversations with people and share the examples that when I was first asked to come on to this, I have the worst imposter syndrome. That's a whole other conversation. Right. But like when I was first asked to join this, I was like, me? You want me to kick off this inaugural show about extra women? That's fantastic. I'm really honored. Why though? And I went through this whole thing, but then I'm like, why? And especially like in talking with both of you, I'm feeling more empowered. And I'm like, you know what? I need to stop apologizing for being in the role that I am and start educating people on what this role can be and what its impact is. And again, not having to use the armor of data, right? And I think that's, at least for me, I think that's the start to it. So I gotta, well, now that I've said this to a, to a public audience, I'm gonna have to. So. <laughs> well, we'll be checking back on you on a monthly basis for the spreadsheet. Right? <laughs> no, please, yeah. please. But I do, I do think more people should, you know, I, and it's, it should be, I think there's a lot to be said for humility and admitting that you have, no matter how 
much experience you do, whether you are tech savvy or technical or what have you, there's, there's, it's great to be humble in what you do, but if you're good at it and you've cracked some codes that can help other people, I feel like in some ways there is a little bit of responsibility in helping other people, even if it's simply the team that you manage. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you have, uh, again, the honor of like I have to be in a public show, speak up and maybe somebody takes something away from it and they go speak up. So I don't know. Sounds a little cheesy, I guess, but that's what I believe. No, I, 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 I agree with you 100%. And, and I think that it is important that we do continue these conversations because to your point, um, you, you know, talking about it is empowering and, and, and understanding that other people are feeling exactly the same way that you are, I think does more to lift up the collective ranks than, uh, than, you know, any, any sort of rah-rah meeting can, or, you know, buck up, you, you're doing great or whatever. It's, it's really kind of digging a layer deeper than, uh, what the regular conversation has been so far and, uh, and understanding that you, you know, we're all in this together at the end of the day. And it really does not matter whether we are male or female at the end of the day, it's really what we know and how we can, uh, impart our our knowledge and what we bring to the table and and to the benefit of everybody absolutely great tracy i'm so excited i've got so much energy right now i feel like i need to go talk to more people oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are just about uh, out of time, but uh, Jennifer, I do want to thank you for being a part of this conversation. Uh, it, it was truly uh, a wonderful, wonderful experience, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And I, and I do wish you the best of luck as you uh, as you do move toward a more, uh, you know, evolutionary role in, in, in marketing leadership. I, I think it's, I think it's a, it's a great, great endeavor and I wish you the best of luck and I hope we can stay in touch. We'll have you back in a couple, couple months or so and see how things are going with you. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely love that. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I've, I've had a blast talking to you both. Excellent. And Excellent. Well, Tracy. You're awesome. You know you're awesome. I know you're awesome. Now Jennifer knows you're awesome. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely glad to expand networks, ladies. And a mark of a conversation. If you if you ever notice me taking notes, that's when something really resonated with me because I had to write a word down. And so let me tell you what, Jennifer, you got a whole page. So, so tons of stuff here. Just about information sharing, about authenticity, about not using data as an armor as armor, but leveraging it when you need to. I mean, so many good things here. Hoorah. <laughs> Let's go do more thank good you. stuff, ladies. Great. Thank you again. And thank you all for uh, tuning in to the inaugural Tech Strong Women episode. I'm Charlene O'Hanlon, and we will see you next time.